We're just going to jump in and uh, continue our series, as Josh said. By the way, um, just so excited to be praying for Josh and Sabrina as they launch uh, this week with some events. It's going to be amazing. And uh, we know it's just been confirmed over and over again that they are the people that God has brought here to run our student ministry. And um, we're so excited for what they're going to do. In regards to the, the, um, the fast that we started last week, if you missed last week's launch in this series, March to Calvary, um, we talked about Jesus walking into the wilderness and beginning uh, a time of fasting and praying. And I encouraged all of us to join with the Lord in that example to fast and pray during Lent, uh, which takes us up to Easter Sunday, April 17th. And um, I just want to talk real quickly about that. Last night, uh, Jesse and I were watching this TV show that we've watched for a couple seasons, you know, and we, we like it. We're, we enjoy the show. But this season, for what, well, for specific reasons, um, has kind of changed. There, it's, it's definitely become more agenda-based, if you will. And, um, but we're like three seasons in, and we're like three or four episodes in. We're like, we're in, invested in these characters and in this show. But every time we turn it on, it's like, why are we watching this? We don't like it anymore. And so it ended, uh, the episode ended last night, and we just said, you know what, we're done. We're, we're not going to keep on with this show that we don't like where it's going anymore just because we've gone down this road for a certain amount of time and we feel invested, right? And so we are laying it down. And if there is anything that I am hearing about this fast for all of us, it is to lay it down. Whatever some of, we're all walking through, right? There, there's, there's been seasons where, 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 we've, where we've, whether it's watched the show or done this or spoken like this or read this or whatever it might be, and we can kind of justify why to keep doing it. It's not making us a bad person. You know, no one else sees it, but there's something in our heart. The Holy Spirit is just nudging us, lay it down, lay it down. And I wanna encourage all of us in here before we even get started, if that's you, if there, is, if there is something you've been going down and maybe you feel just invested in this way or that, or it's just been the norm for you and you can justify it, but the Holy Spirit is after you, lay it down. Just lay it down, just give it up. Stop fighting, stop rationalizing, stop trying to justify why it's okay because it's not really that bad, right? Just lay it down, all right? All right, now we can get going with today's because we're gonna be talking about um, a purposeful walk that Jesus made. We introed this series last week saying that every step that Jesus took when he was here on earth was a purposeful step. And it went all different directions, but ultimately every step led to the cross. That was his journey. That was his path. And so everything that he did, everywhere he went was on purpose, with a purpose. And today we're going to look at Jesus going into Samaria. And all we're going to do, we're going to stay right in John chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, turn there. We're not going anywhere else this morning. We're going to dissect 26 verses of John chapter four, and I'm, I'm loving this. I, this is my favorite thing to do. This is how I love to preach. And so we're gonna pick these verses apart and we're going to really try and understand what Jesus is doing when he takes this trip to Samaria and meets a woman at a well. John chapter four, starting in verse one, says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now there is a sermon in here about church competition, 
We're not going to get to that today, but it's in there, okay? Um, What we're going to look at is Jesus' reaction to the Pharisees hearing that he is gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. And Jesus' reaction to understanding this news that the Pharisees are starting to hear what is happening, the popularity that, that Jesus is starting to gain, the momentum that is happening with Jesus and his ministry is to leave. Okay? Now, why? Why would Jesus know this and then say, okay, I'm going to head out from Judea and I'm going to go to Galilee? Because he's afraid? Of course not. Jesus is not afraid of the disciples. Jesus as God, y'all, listen, some of us need to hear this this morning, is not afraid of anything. Okay? Perfect love, which is Jesus, casts out fear. It does not invite fear. Okay? So Jesus, in whatever you are walking through in your life right now, is not afraid of your circumstances. Jesus is not running from the Pharisees. He is walking towards someone. He is not running away from the Pharisees. He is walking towards someone. Okay? And in doing so, he is also understanding that as he leaves these Pharisees, that the timing, this is, this is why he leaves, y'all. The timing is not right. His time has not yet come. He understands as the Pharisees get wind of all that he's doing, they are not going to be happy. And he's saying the timing isn't right yet. There's more sermons that I have to preach. There's more miracles that I have to perform. There's more people that I need to meet. There's more religious stereotypes that I need to break before my time has come, before that ultimate step to the cross is made. So he doesn't leave out of fear. He leaves because the timing isn't right. And there's someone that he needs to go meet. And that is the most important thing to him right now. So it says in verse four, now he had to go through Samaria. That's interesting. It's an interesting way to put it, right? Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, Jesus didn't have to do anything. Jesus didn't have to leave heaven and come down on this earth. He chose to. Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. He chose to. Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. He chose to. Because he knew what was waiting for him there. You see, here's the thing about Samaria. The the pious Jews, the, the, the really good Jews, the really religious and holy Jews, they avoided Samaria like the plague. They purposely went around Samaria. A lot of times we, we think of Jesus as going the long way somewhere. This was actually the fast way. Jesus was going from Judea to Galilee, and the fastest way to get to Galilee was to go through Samaria. But Jesus would never do that. To prove their, this is, this is the best, to prove their holiness, they would avoid people. And they'd go around Samaria to get to their destination. Jesus says, no, I'm going through Samaria. I'm breaking a religious stereotype in all understanding of who I am by going this way. And trust me when I say that Jesus knew who was watching. Almost like you're saying, hey, I'm going to go through Samaria. Watch out. Let's see what happens. He had to go through Samaria. Not because anyone told him to, but because love compelled him to. He had no other choice because out of love, as he was operating in everything that he did, he was drawn there because he knew that there was one that he had to go meet. He was leaving the 99 and he was going to pursue the one. He had to do it because that's who Jesus was. 
There was someone that was broken. That was someone that was alone. That was someone that was rejected that was going to be meeting him at a well and he had to go. And he did not care what anyone else thought. He did not care that others were going to think that he was not holy or that he was stupid or that he was lowering himself to these low standards, right? That's what Jesus did. And so he went. He had to go to Samaria because there was someone that was waiting for him and he had to go see her. So when others said, I refuse to take that route, Jesus said, I have to take this route. Religious says, I'm gonna, religion says, I'm going to go that way. Jesus says, I have to go this way. I have to go this way and I have to meet this person. Verse five, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Okay, I, I love this, this uh, depiction here of Jesus because what we need to understand is Jesus is all God and he is also all man. And so in this moment, he is tired. He is really tired and he is really thirsty just like we would be. Two ingredients that tell us, I'm not really in the mood, right? I'm not in the mood to talk to this person right now. I'm not in the mood to engage in this conversation right now because I'm tired and I'm thirsty. Forget about how they're feeling. I'm tired and I'm thirsty. Well, those elements don't matter to Jesus in this moment because he had to come because he was coming to find the one. And it says that it was about noon. Well, what did we already say? Jesus' timing, y'all? It's perfect. He left the Pharisees because his time had not yet come. His timing is perfect. He arrived in Samaria at the perfect time. Well, what do you mean? He was hot. He was tired. It's the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day. He's out of this well. It's perfect timing. And again, I want to say to some of us in here that are struggling with God's timing right now, his timing is perfect. It is perfect. Whatever is going on in your life, things that you are waiting on, and it feels like you have been waiting forever and ever and been praying the same prayer over and over, you need to listen to me. Jesus isn't ever late to anything. His timing is perfect. And maybe, just maybe, he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to what? Lay it down. Give everything to him. As he's doing a work in you. We're going to be studying uh, the book of Esther in a, in, a, in a couple months. And we're going to see there how God's timing really works and how amazing it is. But in your life right now, you need to know that he is working and his timing in whatever you are walking through is perfect. He is not a second late to anything ever. He is punctual, all right? All right, some of us are in here who struggle with punctuality. He's punctual, all right? And those of us that are punctual, it's tough hanging out with people that aren't, that aren't punctual sometimes, right? Like, come on, I'm going to die, right? The fate of our existence lies in the balance of us showing up on time. And we think that Jesus is running late and we're saying that to him. Like, come on, let's go, Jesus. He's saying, I I'm not late. My timing is perfect, trust me. 
And so here he is at this well. It was about noon. And before we get to this woman, I want to talk about her for a second. And I want to talk about exactly what's going on because he's about to meet this woman at a well. And here's the thing. Let's go again. The Jews and Samaritans, they did not get along. They hated each other. The Jews called the Samaritans half-breeds. They didn't believe that they were true religious people. They even destroyed the temple that the Samaritans built to worship God. It goes back all the way, and we're not going to get into it. But all we need to know is that there was the Jews despised the Samaritans more so than even the Gentiles. All right? And it was, it was customary for rabbis to not speak to women in general. Right? They wouldn't talk to their wives in public or their daughters or their sisters at all. There were even some Pharisees who were called the, the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. And they were called that because if they saw, this is, if they saw women in public, they would close their eyes and they'd keep walking around to the point where they would literally run into walls and they would bleed and they would get bruised. I mean, if that isn't the height of like religious stupidity, I don't know what is. It was all a stage for them to do that. They were just trying to prove themselves. All they proved was their stupidity. And so there was this huge deal about a rabbi speaking to a woman. And here is Jesus, the rabbi of all rabbis, about to speak to a woman. Now, let's take it a step further, right? So we know that the, the Jews hated the Samaritans. Jesus is a Jew. She's a Samaritan. Rabbis didn't talk to women. But here's, there's even something beyond that. This woman was rejected not just by men and not just by Jews, but by Samaritan women. Because she is coming to a well in the middle of the day when women didn't go to the well. They went in the morning when it was cooler so they could get all the water that they needed for whatever they were doing throughout that day. And so she is not once, not twice, but three times rejected by people. This is a broken woman who literally has no one. Everything in her life has been about take, take, take. And we'll see that in a few minutes. And she's about to meet a Jewish rabbi man at a well in the middle of the day who is all about give, give, give. Jesus' timing is perfect. He had to go. He had to go. It says in verse 7, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Now, she's not being smart here. She's actually genuinely asking Jesus, like, how can you do this? Aren't you not allowed to do this? This isn't your custom. Like, does, are you going to get in trouble? How can you do this? How can you ask me for a drink? And what she's not understanding here is that this woman is now having a one-on-one -on -one audience with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He has now engaged her in a conversation between the two of them. The disciples are gone. And, and some scholars argue that um, as she's coming towards the well, the disciples are crossing her on the road and they haven't even said anything to her. Like they're passing her and, and, and they drop their heads or look away or whatever they have to do because even they don't get it. So she's rejected on her way into the well by even the disciples. And then she arrives and Jesus says, hey, will you give me a drink? 
which, by the way, is definitely a leading question. None of it makes sense to her. She says, how can you ask me for a drink? Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Mm. Here it is, y'all. And this is for us. If you only knew, if you only knew who was asking, if you only knew who you were talking to, this one-on-one, if you only knew the what? The gift of God. If you only knew the gift of God, not the take of God, but what I am offering you in this moment, you would have asked for a whole lot more. Listen, church, it's time for us to ask a whole lot more. If only we knew, and I don't, I don't wanna to get to heaven and God say, if you only knew what could have been if you only knew the prayers that you could have prayed, if you only knew how bold you really could have been when you would come to me, oh, how that would have changed your prayers. Oh, how that would have changed your worship. Oh, how that would have changed how you served me. If you only knew, James, if we only knew, because y'all check this out, every time that we pray, every time that we worship, we are in a one-on-one with Jesus Christ. We don't have to go to a well in Samaria at the middle of the day. He is there. If we only knew, we have five weeks of this fast left. That needs to be our mantra. If we only knew what we could have prayed. Are you praying the big prayers? Are you putting it all out there for Jesus? Are you laying it all on the line, understanding that you have audience with him one-on-one? If you only knew, you wouldn't have asked for that. You would have asked for the living water. You wouldn't have asked for this little thing. You would have asked for the big thing. And I'm not talking about winning winning Powerball or anything like that, y'all. I'm talking about real, miraculous, Jesus-centered things in your life. If you only knew. Are we acting like that? Because we have the privilege of knowing. We have the word of God. This woman is, she's meeting him for the very first time. She doesn't know Jesus from Adam. We got a whole book about him. We got songs about him. We got church services all the time and Bible studies and all of it. And we're settling for a casual relationship. He wants one-on-one. He wants us to know who he is. He wants us to know. Verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Hmm. A lot there in those two verses to unpack. Verse two, you have nothing to draw with. So here's this woman who is rejected, rejected, rejected. She's hurt. She's alone. And Jesus is saying, if you only knew the gift of God, you would have asked for living water. She says, you don't even have a bucket. And here's the thing, y'all. We can approach Jesus the exact same way where we have these hurts inside of us. We have these past failures. 
in mistakes that we've made that seem insurmountable to the Lord. And he's looking at us and he's saying, I had to come to see you. And we say, Jesus, you don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes because the well in my heart is too deep. The depth of my hurt, the depth of my sorrow, the depth of my guilt and my shame and my regret is too deep for you to heal. You don't even have a bucket, Jesus. You can't fix me. You can't reach the water. It hurts too much. And what he says back to us is, if you only knew, if you only knew, I came here for you. I had to come see you. And the whole point was to heal you. The whole point was to set you free. I left the 99. I don't care what anyone else thinks. I put my reputation on the line. You think I care what the pious Jews think of me talking to you right now? Do you think I'm concerned with your laundry list of regrets? If I was, I wouldn't be here. But I am in the middle of the day for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you to tell you I have more than enough. You're looking for a bucket. I brought a cross. And the well, I'm telling you, is not too deep. And there are some of us in here that need to hear that. You have been walking around and still have it right in this moment, this guilt and shame that you think, God, it's just too much. I have to keep it hidden. I have to hide it away, pretend like it's not there, and let it eat at me, and let it stop me from having a relationship with you because you don't have what it takes. He does. He does, y'all. The blood that he poured out on the cross is more than enough. His mercies are new every single morning. And he's calling you. He's calling you by name. He's saying, I came for you. I want an audience of one with you, one-on-one. -on -one. And you ask me, am I greater than Jacob? The answer to that is yes, I am. Because not only was I in the beginning when man was created, but this ground where this well is, I created that too. So guess what? I don't need a bucket. I created the well. He doesn't need anything, y'all. Listen to me. Some of y'all have got to hear this. Please, please let it go. The things that you have been carrying around, the regret and the shame, lay it down. Let it go. And instead of hiding it, check this out. This is what you do. Be like Paul. Use it as your testimony. Start speaking it out that this is who I was. But then I met Jesus. He met me at a well. He had to come seek me out. And so that person that I was, and let me tell you how I was. I'm not like that anymore. He has done a work in me. And when I was looking for a bucket, he gave a cross and I am free now. And the second that you start using those regrets as your testimony, I'm telling you, you will be set free. But the devil's gonna try and shut your mouth. He's gonna try and shut you up because the less that we talk about it, when we think that it's, that it's too much, we keep it. 
We hold on, we get rid of it by speaking it out and then giving Jesus the glory for it. Listen, this is a home for all to begin and grow in their relationship with Jesus. And we say all because all of us were this woman at the well. Every single one of us had that list of regrets and shame. And then we met Jesus and he set us free. So don't think for a second that you're the only one in here. You're all of us in here. And don't think by the way too, that you're not that person. Guess you are, okay? Hate to burst that bubble. Maybe your eyes are closed and you're walking into walls instead. Mm. All of us are that person. Every single one of us. Praise God that he meets all of us. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Yes, he is greater. Yes, he is greater. Jesus answered, verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is my point for this, uh, these two verses. Worldly solutions are temporary. Godly solutions are eternal. You want to drink water out of the well? Fine. You're going to keep coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back. But you drink from the cup of Jesus, that's it. You're done. You want to try and self-medicate and hide your hurts, and hide your pain. You're going to keep going to the well over and over and over again. You go to Jesus, you're set free. Because worldly solutions are very temporary. The new car smell fades. The high doesn't last. Relationships can crumble. Jesus is forever. So lay it down. Lay it down. Y'all hear me, church? Amen. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's like, cool. This is going to save me a chore. She doesn't get it. And we know that because she says over and over, give me this water so that I don't have to do this. And it's work-related, right? And this is where Jesus says, okay, I got her. Because her problem is not that she has to go to a well in the middle of the day. Her problem runs much deeper than that. And when Jesus engages in a conversation with someone, he's not interested in the peripheral problem. He's always going to the core of the issue. Anytime he talks to someone one-on-one, -on -one, it's like, yeah, 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 we'll get to that. Your son is dying, cool, let's talk about you, yeah. right? So here's this woman and she's saying, yeah, give me this water. She's thinking I'd be great, save me a trip. He's like, That's not the issue. And this is where he gets real. Verse 16, he told her, go, call your husband and come back. Swerve, right? Like, what? Ben taught me that word. I'm cool now. I talk like I'm in my 20s. I still don't quite know what it means. But I'm pretty sure I use it in the right context. I think so. Um, 
the conversation for her is going this way. And then Jesus says, no, no, let's, let's take it over here. Go get your husband. Let's talk. Let's get to the core of the issue here. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said, just said is quite true. Hosanna. <laughs> right? Come on, Jesus. Like, I thought we were like, this is cool, right? Like, we're talking water, buckets, and all that. You're like, you got to bring in like, the guys. <sighs> like, that's jacked up. Jesus is getting to the core. And what he's saying to her is this whole time, I've known exactly who you are. You can hide all those things all you want, but I know. And I'm still here. I still came. He's not trying to make her look stupid or feel foolish. Saying, I came knowing who you were. I came knowing what has happened to you. You see, men in her life have been a source of great hurt because men, all they've done is take, take, take. I'm gonna use you. I'm gonna sleep with you. When I'm done, I'm just gonna throw you out like a tissue. And okay, so now I'm gonna go try and find acceptance. I'm gonna go try and find love and companionship and relationship from another man. And what happens? It happens again. Five times this has happened to her. Now she's on her sixth. Men have been a, a huge source of hurt and rejection for her. She's been used. And now here comes this man. Let's not forget, Jesus was a man. He was the man. And he's saying, I want to give. I want to restore. I'm not here to take anything from you. I want to give you everything that you could ever dream of and more. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Okay, bear with me for a second here, y'all, because I empathize with Jesus a little bit here. I'm not trying to say I'm like Jesus, okay? But this reminds me, I'm just getting a little personal with y'all here when I read this verse, because things are going one way in the conversation and all of a sudden Jesus drops this bomb right? I don't know you at all, but I know everything about you. Okay. And so she's like saying, okay, let me, so you're a prophet. All right. Let's go ahead and we'll, we'll admit that. And then she starts talking like this theology. Our ancestors worship. What is that? What, huh? Right. And th listen, a little insight into my life. I, listen, I like meeting people. Okay. But I can't, it, it, there's going to come a point in a conversation when I meet someone where eventually they're going to ask, what do you do? And I, every time I'm like, oh, here it comes. <laughs> I'm proud to be the, uh, past, the pastor of Beaches Chapel, to be the lead pastor here. I love what I do. I love preaching. I love this church. What I hate is when I tell someone that I'm getting to know for the very first time that I'm a pastor, how the conversation subtly changes. Oh, really? John 3, 16, Bible, New King James Version, like Sundays. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? It's, it's amazing, y'all. It is not a cliche how all of a sudden people just change the second they find out that you're a pastor. It, they become the weirdest people. Like, I was interested in just you being you, you know, but all of a sudden you just like misquoted half the Bible. But okay, cool, you know. 
I kind of feel like that's what's happening with her right here, right? It's like, you have had five husbands. The man you are with now is not your husband. You're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped here, by the way. Like, what are you talking about? You know, it's, it's, she's, it's like she's in panic mode. I've met someone that is holy. I better try and match that. Oh, God, listen, y'all, I'm not interested in that. And I, if I'm not, I know the Lord is not interested in that. He wants us who we are, all right? Yes, he wants us to learn the word, of course. But he is not there when we're meeting him for us to try and prove our religiousness to him. All we end up doing is looking foolish, okay? So when you approach the Lord, especially if you're new in your faith, but even if you're not, like, stop trying to impress Jesus. Just be yourself. Just be yourself. Jesus says in verse 21, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Listen, don't get, don't get lost on what Jesus is saying here. He is, he is dropping a major bomb on this woman at a well in the middle of the day. I mean, he, this is a revelation. He hasn't said these types of things before yet. He is telling her that it's all about to change. And you don't have to go there or you don't have to go there. You're going to worship in the, in the spirit no matter where you are. And so what he's saying is it's not about whether you're Jew or whether you're Samaritan or whether you're Gentile. What he is after is true worshipers. There is no race. There is, there is, there is no qualification except that you follow him. So it's all about to change. And he tells her that. You, get the, you understand the gravity of this moment? She is a rejected Woman three times over, living a crazy life. And Jesus tells her what is about to transpire. Huge, huge news. Huge. The veil will tear. Relationship will be introduced. All are welcome. We're going to lay down this whole Jew-Samaritan deal. And I'm allowed to wipe the slate clean. And all are welcome. I'm looking for true worshipers. That's what I want. True worshipers. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. If she only knew, right? She's just found out. And I encourage you to read this story over again because what happens with this rejected woman is she goes back into town, she becomes an evangelist for Jesus. Yes. Saves everybody in the town, right? This woman who is rejected over and over and over again, who had to come to the well in the middle of the day, Jesus had to go to her. He had to set her free. And then what happens? Now she knows, and she goes and tells everyone else. What day come back If you haven't gotten your communion cup this morning, you can grab it in the back. We're going to celebrate Jesus' ultimate destination. It didn't stop at a well. 
It hasn't stopped yet. We don't have to wait. If you're sitting in your seat this morning, if you're watching at home, wherever you might be, and you feel like you might not want to admit it, you might not admit it, but you can relate to this woman who's at the well. You need to know that you don't have to wait. If you've been holding on to the shame of, of your past life, or even what you did yesterday, or whatever it might be, understand who is calling you by name, who's saying, I have to go talk with you. I have to come to you. Not because there's a gun to my head, but because my love for you compels me to. And I'll go around, I'll go through, I don't care, but I'm going to meet you right where you are at to set you free and let you know that I love you. Even though I know who you were. And I say this out of love to everyone in here. He knows who each one of us were. We can try and hide it from our neighbor. We can't hide it from Jesus. If he can call this woman out of the well, he can call us out too. So rather than try and hide it and, 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 claim, and claim that Jesus doesn't have the tools to heal us, let's instead lay it down at his feet and say, here it is, Lord. Let me drink from your cup. Let me drink from your cup that heals. So what I want to do right now, if you've never received this gift of Jesus, that Jesus talks about right at the beginning with this woman, if you only knew the gift of God, you would ask for living water. If you've never accepted Jesus, if you've never allowed him to come into your heart, this is your moment. And we're just going to leave some space there is no formula. It is a simple, Father, forgive me. I lay these things down and I believe. It was in the chapter before this where Jesus speaks John three sixteen, And here we are right now, all this time later, we're the same thing. If you believe, you will be saved. For God so loved the world whether you're at a well or not, he loved the world that he gave Jesus, that whoever believes, whoever believes will have eternal life. Do you believe? Are you ready to drink from the cup that Jesus is offering you and lay down all those other things, the hurts, the mistakes, the guilt and the shame, the rejection, the loneliness and receive what he has for you Life is not about take, take, take. He wants to give, give, give to you in this moment. All you have to do, Lord, I believe, forgive me. I believe. Here's your moment. Let's stand as we pray over communion this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you meet us right where we're at. You don't wait for us to get our act together, to, to, to get better or whatever that even means, Lord. 
you meet us at the well in the middle of the day for a one-on-one, knowing full well the baggage that we bring with us, knowing full well the hurt that we have, how, how deep our hurt goes. You say, I have to go meet that person. I have to go meet you right there. And I don't care what anyone else thinks. That's where I'm going because I have to. Lord, I pray right now, Jesus, that in the coming weeks of this fast leading up to Easter Sunday, Lord God, that we would know you more. That if you only knew that we would say, I know in a greater way than I did even five weeks ago. Let that be our testimony, God. Put on our hearts, Father, two things. The things that we need to pray for. The big asks, Lord, and also the things that we need to lay down. Lord, I pray that it would be crystal clear to each one of us and that we would not fight either one of those. That we might even sound stupid in our own mind praying these prayers, God, but that we would pray them anyway. And Father, that the things that we need to lay down, that we would stop justifying them as if they're not a big deal, but we would be quick to obey the Holy Spirit's nudging in our heart to lay those things down and to see what happens as we do. God, I pray for those of us that are hurt and rejected and lonely. Father, that we would not say, Lord, you don't have what it takes, but that we would understand that you are the greatest and you have exactly what it takes. You gave us the cross so that we could be made whole. And Father, right now we take this bread remembering the cross, remembering that the journey didn't stop at the well, that you kept walking until the deed was done. And as they nailed those nails into your arms and in your legs, as they whipped you, God, you were meeting us. You were setting up the appointment for the one-on-ones so that we would never have to feel like this woman ever again in our lives. We would never have to feel shame. We would never have to feel guilt. And we especially would never have to feel lonely because you are with us in all of it. And you did so. You made that possible by staying on the cross. You didn't have to, God. You chose to. It was your love It was your love for us. Not out of any obligation or duty, your love that made you do it. And we celebrate that this morning and I pray that you would bring that back to remembrance for all of us. And so Lord, as we take this bread, we say thank you. Thank you for staying on the cross, for being being a sacrifice, Lord. in your flesh suffocating extreme pain sacrifice for us so that we can know you let's take the bread
God, we just, we readily admit that we all have our, our list of regrets, things that we would take back if we could, but we can't. But God, we also know that your mercies are new every morning. Your word says so, and you are not a liar. And it's your blood, your perfect blood that was poured out for us to wash us of all that stuff, God, all that junk, to wash us clean, spirit, soul, and body. You make us new with your blood. You wash all that off of us, Lord, the dirt of our sin.